Guts and Grit Podcast. A podcast where we discuss overcoming the odds, resiliency, and never giving up. Join us each week as host John Melson, Joy Vatrebeck, and Mark Renahan discuss coming back from failure and never quitting. Guts and Grit, it's go time. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Guts and Grit. We are on episode eight. We thank you for coming back after we had our short summer break. We have an incredible show for you today. We are continuing on our theme of people who grew up in different countries. Uh, terrible things happened there. They made it to the U.S., uh, served our country, and now are incredible members of society. Today we have with us and a guest of mine I've had on before. He is an incredible gentleman. Dr. Fred Valdez, he is from Miami. He grew up in Cuba. Of course, I have with me today my other co-host, John Melson. Joy cannot be with us today. She has the coronavirus. And of course, Noah, the engineer. So without further ado, Doc, welcome and how are you? Got to be here. Good to see you again. Excellent. It's great to have you back. I'm glad I can introduce you to John. So. Doc, I always like to just jump right into it. Uh, I know that you grew up in Cuba and you were a part of when the Castros took over and the country went from what it was to communism. Uh, I know you were able to escape, come here to the U.S. I know you served in the U.S. Army. Uh, I know you're a very successful doctor, but most importantly, you had a couple of guest stars on Miami Vice, which of course is everyone's favorite <laughs> show in the 80s. But Doc, why don't you tell us a little bit about growing up in Cuba prior to the Castros? Well, you know, it was, it was a small town, a family town, pretty much like a, you choose a town in Oklahoma in the middle of Kansas somewhere, and life was pretty much like that. Uh, everybody knew everybody else. Uh, you never locked the door and so on and so on. And uh, it's one of the things that it changed overnight when Castro took over. And, uh, you know, the same things that uh, sometimes we hear again, you know, I believe history repeats itself. Only the names and places change a little bit. Uh, and uh, everybody saw it, and my dad said, uh, this is not good, this is communism, and so on and so on. Uh, and to make a long story short, uh, you know, I detail a lot of that in the book. Uh, things got bad to the point that uh, one night, uh, you know, my friends and I were getting together and saying, we got to do something, we got to fight, we got to fight communism, and so on. And we thought nobody knew, <laughs> you know, in a small town, right? And... Uh, we had a knock on the door at nine o'clock at night, and you know, in a small town anywhere, somebody knocks on the door at nine o'clock at night when it's dark, uh, something is not right. And my dad answered, and it was a friend of the family who said, uh, we know your kid is involved with so-and-so, and they're doing this and this and this, everybody knows it. You need to get him out of here because he's gonna end up in jail or worse. And you know what the worst is. So from that moment on, we started doing all the paperwork and stuff like that, and, you know, hiding, uh, not telling anybody. I mean, it's a long story that probably not, not time on the broadcast, but uh, uh, it took uh, a couple of years. Uh, and I saw what, what communism did under Castro, and, you know, uh, we, were, we were fine. We were not wealthy, uh, we, but we were fine. Uh, we had a, a farm, a dairy farm, and cows and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you the book was one of the moments. Uh, one day, my dad, it's a farm that belonged to my grandfather. And one day my dad got to the farm and there's two land rovers in the front, machine guns and all that, and had a chain around the fence. And they said, this land is no longer yours. It doesn't belong to you. And if you attempt to cross, we will, we will kill you. 
And I still remember when my dad got back home that day and my mom said, uh, what are you doing home so early? And he said, we lost everything. Everything is gone. Everything is lost. Uh, that experience, I, I do not wish on anyone. Uh, and I'm an only child, as you know. So, But I remember exactly the room in the house that I was in uh, when that my dad said that to my mom. So make a long story short, and I know time constraints here, uh, that led into me escaping, getting the paperwork through the Dutch embassy and so on. It was something like out of a movie. And I finally ended up here uh, and uh, came on the program that was became known as Peter Pan. You know, 14,000 kids uh, left Cuba without their parents uh, and uh, lived in a foster home for, oh, three, four years or so. Uh, so, you know, I had to, uh, uh, it was difficult. It was difficult, but I never complained. Never, never complained. I, I, I uh, blessed this country the day I came in and later on I served uh, because I believe that uh, this is still the best country in the world. And, uh, and I will still defend it if I have to, yeah. you know, regardless of my age, uh, I will put it on the line again if, if I have to. Doc, I, I have zero doubt that that is the case. Uh, one, of, one of the things I wanted to bring up to you, I was rereading the book the other day because I, I read it early. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Dr. Valdez wrote this fantastic book called Tarmac. And it, it details first growing up in Cuba and then an event in his life that was pretty cool with our former president, George Bush. But um, we had, we've had a bunch of other guests on who have come, one from Iraq and uh, one from Afghanistan. Uh, I noticed in your book that both in Cuba, um, you guys made the kites as a kid and you flew the kites where you tried to, to cut them with the razor blade. Um, they, uh, John, what's, um, come on, I'm losing my mind here. Rashid, I believe, did the same thing, correct? Yes, yep. All right, so Doc, my question is, or the thing I'm kind of bringing up is, childhood for you when you were in Cuba prior to um, you know, communism, was as regular as a childhood as you can get. And, and from the book, I mean, you had an enjoyable childhood with incredible memories, correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was uh, riding a bicycle uh, up and down the street, uh, total freedom, uh, going fishing, okay? I wasn't crazy about fishing, but I went fishing anyways. Uh, bird, looking at birds, uh, I had guns at a very early age. And my dad gave me a, a shotgun when I was 11. Uh, told me how to use it. And uh, so, you know, we hunted on the farm. We had wild turkey. Uh, and so it was it was just a normal, regular childhood, uh, you know, with good friends around me, everybody knew everybody, that kind of stuff. And, you know, then again, I saw the changes. And, and one thing that I always say when I speak to groups or whatever, it's I heard things from the smart people back there back then, uh, you know, the doctors, uh, the, the, the business people and so on, uh, the intelligentsia, right? Uh, saying, uh, no, 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 this will never happen here. Communism or whatever, this is only temporary, it will never happen. It will not last here. Uh, and they told that to my dad and my dad was one of those guys who said, I don't believe you, you know? And sure enough, he was right. Uh, 60 some years later, we can see the results, you know? Well, Doc, as a, as a kid, did you ever, like, so I, I know just like living here in the U.S. that many people, um, I don't want to, I want to say the right thing, don't appreciate, I guess, don't realize how fantastic that we have it here and how 
good it is. When you were a kid, did you, you know, one day you're out, you're fishing, you're looking at birds, by the way, two fantastic hobbies. Um, did you ever think to yourself, you know, this could ever change like this? Because I know there are people here who believe like, oh, it'll never happen here. But, you know, if you don't pay attention to history, it might. Did you ever think when you were a kid that the childhood you had, the fun you were having would ever change into you having to be smuggled to a land where you, you know, had never been, didn't know anybody. Uh, you know, you were, again, like we discussed before this, and I've talked to you about before, you were basically an orphan um, for the first couple of years. Did you ever think that that was going to happen? I never thought. I never thought it, anything would change that. Why? It, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't, the country wasn't perfect. My country is in Cuba, but... Uh, there was freedom. There was freedom to do your business. There was freedom to travel. There was freedom to speak. Uh, it was very advanced back then. Cuba was one of those places that was very, very advanced pre-Castro. The smart people, quote unquote, said, no, 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 no. It's only temporary. This will never happen here. And this will never happen here. And, and, and it's sure thing. It did. And, you know, you talk about the kites. <laughs> Boy, I... I that was one of the biggest things, you know, we would get together the night before and uh, buy the paper for kites and make our own designs and, and uh, you know, get ready to, to fly the kites the next day. And we spent a lot of hours and night making the kites small, big kite flying was, was like a, uh, it was like an art form in Cuba. Everybody could make their own kites and flew their own kites and, you know, we put the racer blades to cut the other kids' kite, like, you know, competition type thing. Uh, I'm glad you reminded me of that. That that was a big, big memory. So, that, that again, and that's, we, we were talking, I, I read that, that you made the kites, but as I was reading and I thought to myself, like, at that time, you probably never ever thought that you were going to have to be, you know, sprinted over to the U.S. So I, I guess, John, what we would think of is that it took some guts and grit to uh, to make it over here in the U.S. But how, how was your your initial trip to the U.S.? Well, you know, it's funny. I always looked at it as an adventure. Now, when I look back and I think back what my parents went through, and, you know, I think that you've read the book, the one piece on that book is the day I left. Uh, it's called the fishbowl, and the book, and there's a reason for that. Uh, I think back of my parents standing behind that glass, uh, not knowing if they would ever see me again. Uh, and I think back of the sacrifice they did. Uh, and it's now I appreciate it, you know, a lot more. Back then, to me, it was it was just an adventure. You know, I don't care. Uh, all I need to worry about is uh, what am I going to eat my next meal, which many times I didn't know. Uh, and uh, so the trip was, was an adventure. It was emotional, of course, but it was an adventure. And, you know, if you reread that part, the fishbowl, I think that's impacting. That's impacting on any kid, no matter how old, 15-year-old, 14-year-old, uh, interrogation uh, naked in front of the, the militia at the airport, uh, trying to, to break me mentally, ask me why you live in this country, why are you, you don't like Castro, you don't like this. Uh, and you know, I stuck to what my dad told me, you say this, you, you don't deviate from that. And uh, and that was, uh, and then the little girl that was, uh, they were, you know. They took the dog from. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I was gonna say I, I remember reading that part, and I, I in my own head I said. Your dad's advice is great because it, it's at that point where I would have been killed because my temper would have gotten the best of me and I would have yelled yeah. something stupid. And, you know, when they when they grabbed the so, John, part of the book is, um, you know, when you're leaving Cuba, you get interrogated by the militia. And, you know, I think what were you, 12, Doc, or something around there? No, I was uh, 13. 13, 13 yeah. And they made him strip naked. And then after all that, when he's leaving, a little 10 year old girl walks in with her little dolly and they take it away and they rip it up and. You know, it's tough to maintain your composure when you're witnessing that stuff. And, and she starts to cry, and I told her, I said, "Don't worry about it. When we get to Miami, we'll buy you a, you know, the the, the dolls in Miami are a lot prettier." And, all that. and and that's when I got hit on the head. You know, the rifle butted me in the head, and I fell. And uh, they screamed at me, "Move on!" You know, and I grabbed my my bags. Uh, and I I went and I sat next to the guy. My mom looked at me through the glass, and she's what happened and I said nothing I you know I looked at it I said I'm fine I'm fine and then the guy next to me that came with me said why did they ask you and I said nothing I said no I'm fine fine I'm fine I'm, you know and I kept it uh come to think of it not until I wrote the book did those memories come, come back uh in detail uh I kept it repressed for a long long time uh never shared with anybody until I wrote the book and uh that's why it was important for me to write the book and have some kind of a legacy to that. And, and you know, my story is not unique. Uh, there are so many more, thousands more that had a lot worse endings <laughs> than mine. Okay. So. So, now, Doc, and I'm gonna, I want to get John into the conversation here, and this is how I'm going to do it. So, Doc, now you get to the U.S., okay, and you've, you've established yourself. And you end up joining the United States Army. Now, a, a lot of people, I mean, just today in the U.S., I think it's less than 2% of our, our countrymen serve. So that alone is an impressive feat. But what made you decide to join the Army um, as a, you know, you're from Cuba. Um, you're here now. You know, you're getting to know the country. What, what made you say, you know what, I'm going to serve in the U.S. Army? I was, uh, I wanted to do something not only for the country. I wanted to do something against communism. And pretty much that's what drove me. I, I saw the war was going on and all that, and I said, I need to be part of this. If this country needs me, I'm going. And I went to the, uh, you know, those days, uh, you can ask down too, we don't forget the day we, we, we enlisted. I can tell you every single detail. I'm gonna tell you the faces of the recruiter. Uh, so I went to Miami, downtown recruiting station, and I told them, and uh, sure enough, I was in four years. Uh, they gave me different choices, uh, so I became a medic. Uh, the, the guy gave me some good advice. He recruited. He said, "Pick something that you might use when you when you come out. Uh, that may become a career for you." Uh, and I said, "Medic is fine." So uh, you know, come back medic, and uh, and again, you know the story. Uh, that led me to working in a hospital when I got out of the army and then eventually medical school. So uh, the army, the army changed my life. It gave me a whole different perspective of, on, on appreciation of freedom, appreciation of life, and appreciation of this country. Uh, again, it's not a cliche. I'm not saying it for for the podcast reasons or anything. I would put my life on the line again anytime for this country. John, you, you want to chime in on that a little bit? Yeah, so a couple of things I just wanted to bring up. And 
first of all, Doc, I, I, I appreciate you coming on and, and giving up some time today. I know we had some scheduling conflicts. I really appreciate you working with us. Uh, some of that's just, it was my fault. My, uh, my military commitments had me pulling in a million different directions the last couple of weeks. But uh, that being said, Mark, I think you'll appreciate it, man. Um, the, the sense of Doc's background being such a young child, uh, considering Rashid and, and Noah, our previous guests, uh, we look back and we think about our childhoods, how we grew up here in the United States compared to how they grew up. And, you know, shows all about guts and grit. And think about uh, that for, for them as young kids to be able to go ahead and, and endure this type of things. And to them, like for you, Doc, when you were growing up in, in Cuba under Castro, that's what you knew. So that seemed normal for you. Right. And what Rashid was growing up under the Taliban and Noah experiencing under Saddam Hussein, like we've all, all of you guests, uh, Doc, have all said you had, you know, what you think is a normal childhood. You had fun, you ride your bike, flying kites, playing soccer or football, right? And for us, we 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 know on the outside looking in, you know, we're curious, what was that like under Saddam? What was that like under Castro? Knowing what they progressed into and how, you know, uh, crazy of a world it became. And to think that you endured that, you escaped it, right? You, the, the level of resiliency of a, of a young child to do that, it, you, you've had a very successful life, sir. And, and I'm amazed at the things you've been able to accomplish, you know, going into the medical field. And the fact that all three of you also have in common, besides your rough childhoods, um, is the fact that you used the Army as a platform. To, to launch you into bigger and better things. And I, I say that all the time to young people that, you know, you can, you can join the military. It doesn't have to be the army. Um, I would like you to join the army. I'd like <laughs> you to join the Marines, right? But, but joining the military, it gives you an opportunity to go ahead and recreate yourself and become something that you, yeah. you know, staying in the, the bad environment you're in, you're going to restrict yourself from it. So man, the fact that you came over here, sir, uh, and, and went in and enlisted, to give back to this great country that, that says so much about you and you reap the rewards for that. You know, you went into the medical field in the army as a soldier and, uh, man, I can't tell you how much I appreciate my medics. They keep me pumping and keep me going through all the stuff that we have to go through. And, uh, you got into the medical field and, I'm really amazed. I was a big Miami Vice fan growing up. Well, that's 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 what we're getting into next. So me. I, I was a little bit heavier, and the, the hair was different. Uh, but I did, a, I did one episode that was a uh, you know my name came out on TV Guide and the whole thing. You know, my mom of course bought all the TV guides in Miami and gave it to her friends. <laughs> you know? Let me tell you, Doc. I, I have all sorts of people on the shows, but as soon as I told some of the guys at home, like this guy was a guest star on Miami Vice, what? Miami Vice. Can I ask you, how, how did that happen? How did you get into Miami Vice? That's what I got to know. I want to know how you got into the Miami Vice thing. Well, uh, you know, I was working in the hospital. I was one of the doctors at a major trauma hospital in Hollywood, Florida. And uh, I, all, you know, I write music. I, I play music. I've always been on stage for some reason or another. And uh, so I thought I was actually looking for like a music gig. So I got an agent. Uh, I had a small, a small group, an old doctor group in the house where we were doing, you know, music, uh, soft rock, that kind of stuff. And then my agent called me one day and said, you know, I have some acting gigs. Uh, you want to do them? And I said, sure, sure thing, <laughs> you know. 
And that led to a call one day. I auditioned for, for Vice. And, uh, and did two or three small parts, but then came a big part. Uh, and this was actually on the, on the credits and everything. And, the, <laughs> and the, I'll tell you something I, I don't think I would tell you. When I saw the money that I made just for that episode, <laughs> I remember the last day of the shoot, I drove back to the hospital. I'm thinking, that's it. Let me add one thing to what John said uh, about serving. Uh, I don't know if I ever told you this, uh, Mark. Uh, on 9-11, uh, you know, like it, it caught all of us uh, in different ways, but I, I was really, uh, and I called, I called the, the recruiting station and I gave him my background and I said, I already served, I want to go again. You swing whatever, I'm already a doctor. Uh, and I was on hold for over an hour because so many people were calling. I was on hold for over an hour, and then the sergeant came back and said, sir, we appreciate, uh, but you you passed the age. We can't take you because of your, your age. Uh, and I insisted, no, 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 you got to take me back. And uh, he said, no, sir, we can't. We can't take you. You passed the age, uh, but we appreciate your call. So I, I, I like many, many other thousands, uh, I tried to go back. After 9-11. So. Yeah. Now, John, you, you you had a similar story to that. Me going back in? Yeah. Well, not so much. I wasn't trying to come back in as a medic. <laughs> I had a procedure to come back in. <laughs> You're just good at push-ups, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Doc, now let, let me ask you another question. Have you been back uh, to Cuba, can you go back, or is it if you went back, would there be issues, or how would it work out? You you can go back with certain uh, restrictions and all that. Uh, it's a question that I've been asked a lot. I'm kind of uh, mixed about it. In some ways, I like to go back and see the town that I that I grew up in, and the mountains are still there, you know, kind of stuff. But on the other hand, two reasons. I don't want to be disillusioned and see things that I think one way and now they look down and broken down and everything. Uh, and two, I will not uh, give the government a, a dollar. Okay. You know, tourism, uh, most of the, the money you have to do in dollars and everything stays with the government. Uh, it doesn't go to, uh, unless you, you're working in the tourist industry and very specifically, uh, you know, they, they pick you, and all that, and maybe you can get some tips from Canadian dollars or whatever. Uh, other than that, I don't want to give the government any uh, any advantage as far as uh, revenue of dollars and so on. But it's it's an issue that's that's uh, it's a deep issue. I, I've talked to friends that have gone back, and they tell me uh, everyone told me said don't go back, don't go back because you will see. The decay. You you will see time stopped in 1958, uh, and you don't want to see that. You should remember things as they were before 1958. Uh, so you know it, it's a mixed issue. Uh, my daughter, my daughter went. My daughter was dating a guy from from uh, Lockheed. She worked for Lockheed for a few years, 
And this guy had special whatever, wealthy guy. I didn't like him, so I'm glad she left him. That's, that's, that's besides the point. They went to Cuba, and she was so excited. Oh, Dad. And I said, okay, fine. But know the perspective. Know that what you're going to see is only for the tourists. And sure enough, she's smart. My daughter's very smart. She said, Dad, uh, we stayed at the best hotel. We're on, it's only for tourists. It's only with dollars. It's only for tourists. But three blocks from the hotel, three blocks from the hotel, there were kids on the street with no shoes, bellies hanging out, begging for whatever, begging for a piece of candy or begging for this or that. And the buildings were, were falling down. And it was, I said, well, that is a reality. Okay. That's, you want socialism? Uh, you, you know, and I think it was a lesson to her because, you know, kids, when they go to college, you know, they get all the influence and ah, socialism, yada, 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 a bunch of BS. Uh, so I think she got a little bit of a, when you taste it, <laughs> when you taste it in the flesh, it's a whole different story, you know? Now, and she, Doc, not to interrupt you, but like, my question is, would you personally, is what I meant. Like, so if you were you were applying for a visa to get in there, would they say, "Oh, it's this guy"? Uh, you know what I mean? He escaped when he was young, and maybe it's time for payback. That's what kind of more. That's another fear that I've had. Okay. Okay. I have a very good friend. He was a colonel in the Air Force. Uh, he was a Southern Command, and uh, well, he was still in the Air Force. Uh, he's retired now, but he, his parents were still there. And he decided to go visit as a civilian. He didn't go in an Air Force capacity, took time off, I went to visit. On the day he was supposed to come back. Oh. And the only reason I think he got out is because he was a chaplain okay, for Southern Command. And uh, there were some phone calls made. Uh, he's a religious person, he's the chaplain, and so on and so on. And then he, he was able to get out, but he was delayed like a week it cost him a fortune and a, and a lot of phone calls. And you know what? I don't have that kind of clout. <laughs> if you put me away. Uh, we'll, come, we'll come get you, Doc. Don't worry. We'll send John and the Rangers to come get you. <laughs> so, so that's, that's, another, that's another issue, you know? Yeah, that's no. Another. I guess I because, you know, you, you figure that regimes like that kind of have a, you know, a chip on their shoulder, for lack of a, of a better word. Um, and that they might, you know, just for, a, you're a doctor, you were an army medic, What it's almost like a, uh, a score, yeah. almost like, you know, like you think you left us, well, now you're back here and you're not leaving. But I mean, hopefully one day it'll, it'll be free again there and then we can all go and enjoy Havana, which I heard is one of the most Absolutely. beautiful cities. Not only Havana, I mean, the rest of the island, it's, the beaches, everything, uh, it's still there, of course. But uh, if there's a change, a big change, I mean, a real change, yeah. Yeah, I, I, before I die, probably my bucket list, uh, I would like to go and and see the mountains that I used to look at when I was a child and, you know, see the see, you know, the streets or whatever is left of the streets or whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I would like to do that. Now, do you think you could find your childhood house if you would, if you landed in? My home's still there. My home's still there. Uh, There's a picture in the book, okay, uh, and all the pictures, and I just... I just reconnected with the second cousin that lived in my home after, I, you know, after my parents left and everything. She lived with my aunt, uh, and we came to this country like 35, 40 years ago. Or so we never connected until about a month ago. 
and I went to see him. She lives in the, in the West Coast here in Florida. Uh, and uh, we reconnected, and she had a lot of pictures that she snuggled out, hidden. Uh, and we went through like memory lane, and we we cried a little bit. Uh, she did, you know. I don't, I don't cry. Of course not. Just joking. You were on Miami Vice. No one cries on Miami Vice. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and uh, so we saw pictures of the house and everything. And speaking of the house, you know, it's hard for someone who doesn't who lives uh, the normal life here uh, to understand that this house, my grandfather built it, lived in it and all that, had his kids, then my father inherited the house, and that's the house that I grew up in and all that. And uh, after my, my father left, my aunt was living in the house with her husband, and, uh, and the, the city, the police, the state police came in the town and said, uh, this house is really big. How many people are living here? Oh, only three people? No, that's, that's not. Uh, we're going to bring another family to live here, okay? And they brought another family, strangers. And, and this is like you couldn't say no, you know what I'm saying? And they put them in the house. And this family was really dishonest, and they stole from my aunt. They stole my mom's uh, uh, silver that she had, my aunt had hidden it. So there's a lot of stuff that obviously doesn't make the, the news or the media or the stories and again, my story is not unique. It's really not unique. There's so many, so many thousands and thousands and thousands of stories like that. Uh, so uh, the house still there. I, I know that for a fact. Well, that's good. Well, unfortunately, gentlemen, uh, we are getting to the end of today's show. I had to cut it a little short as Ben Franklin has some kitties. He has to go teach. But, Doc, it was amazing to have you on once again. Uh, I'm also going to get a hold of Dr. Ladon at some point. Am I pronouncing that right? Is it Ladon? Ladon. Ladon, yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, Johnny, he's another Cuban doctor. Uh, story is similar but a tad different. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that off air. But, Doc, your story is incredible, and I can't thank you enough for, uh, A, coming on the show, B, serving in the U.S. Army, especially as a medic, and for your just outright love of the country, but more important, for being part of one of the greatest pop culture shows in America, Miami Vice. Um, but besides all of that, uh, it's been great having you. Johnny's going to be down here in uh, November. I'll talk to you both offline. Maybe we all get together for a dinner and a, and a beer and ginger ale. And John, thank you for what you're doing. Uh, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. That's great. Thanks, uh, And everybody who's watching, remember... On Amazon, Tarmac by Dr. Fred Valdez. You can buy it on Amazon, or you can just send us a message, and maybe we'll get you a signed copy. You never know. Thank you all for tuning in once again this week. We have an incredible lineup coming up next week. We are going to get into one of John's biggest battles. And that was in Afghanistan, Johnny? Yes, it was. It was in Afghanistan. I know John is very humble and doesn't like to talk about these things, but we are going to have John and the members of his team, both who are at the battle and who I, – I, I get it all confused, but – Big battle in Afghanistan. We're going to have a reunion of sorts with some of the gentlemen who took place in it. Let them kind of talk and get some things off their chest. Because as we said, uh, you know, it's, sometimes it's good to just talk about it. And that's here at the Guts and Grit Show. We like to have people on who might want to not talk regularly, but, you know, get it off your chest and get a little bit out because everyone's welcome here. And it's always a friendly and fun time. You can check us out on Facebook, Podbean, uh, all of the apps that you get your podcast on. John and I aren't exactly the most technically savvy fellows, but we're doing our best to keep up to date. Once again, we had Dr. Fred Valdez on. He wrote the book Tarmac. It is an incredible book. 
can also catch him on some Miami Vice reruns. Thank you all for tuning in. Johnny, you want to take us out with the tagline? Sure will. Hey, Doc, so I'm a big thing, you know, uh, fitness is a big thing for me, and I contribute my success in the military and all my times downrange because of how much I put so much time in and training my body. So one of the things uh, I talk about all the time and I push out to all my junior soldiers as well as folks I come in contact with uh, as part of this motivation of why I get in shape is to go ahead and train to be hard to kill. <laughs> all right, everybody. Train to be hard to kill. We'll see you next week on Guts and Grit. Thanks again, Dr. Valdez. Bye-bye, everybody. Guts and Grit. Like, subscribe, comment, share.